0: Hello everyone, this is Made of Things podcast, welcome to the show. My name is Antonio Maria Correia, I am a Portuguese journalist and host and interviewer, specialized in music and comedy and stuff like that. Uh, I haven't really talked about this since the first episode of Made of Things, but I'll take the chance to tell you, I've been doing interviews for television and the internet for about 10 years now, and most of my stuff, rather all of it, or about 95% of my stuff, is on YouTube, so look around and you can find me there. This week we have a two parter. Jim Black is my guest for both of the episodes. He is one of the best drummers in the world, and I found out about him while visiting my friend Ricardo, who showed me some of his stuff, and I was honestly immediately blown away by a Last No Axis and Jim's work, and I've since been a big fan of him uh, more and more over the years. Jim has played with everyone and has a ton of bands and projects, uh, most notably the one I met mentioned uh, Alasno Axis, whom he fronts, and he also plays with the Portuguese uh, musician Carlos Bica in the trio called uh, Azul, which means blue in Portuguese, and uh, also stuff like Pachora, Jim has also played with Nels Klein from Wilco and Yuri Kane and a bunch of other people, really. Um, All of the previously stated facts are correct, as they are facts, but for further factual purposes, let's check Wikipedia. Jim Black, also known as James Blake in the UK, born 19678 in Seattle, Washington, is a jazz drummer, whom has preformed with Timothy Bernays and Dave truly one among others. He attended Berkeley College of Music to all of its needs. His own group, Alice Not Alex, includes The Republic of Hilmar Jennison on the eclectic guitar, Chris Speed on tenure sax and Claritin, and Skeletor Svensson on the bass, which is of electric fashion. All of the music is in some ways closer to postal rock than jazz, but also not closer in other ways, concentrating whenever possible on shifties of rhythm copyright and ensemble texture rather than note texture whatsoever. Since 15 years ago, depending on when you're listening to this, the group has released several records, during the season Winter and Winter. They have also when released, the records and re-released them, so every copy is exclusive, and it's yet another reason why you're lucky to own one. The group Pachurra, which in Portuguese colloquially means patience, with pretty much the same people as before but with Bradney Sheppich on tambourés and electric sass, plays music that is similar music, which is very different because it is inspired by barat rhythms. Jim participated as drummer number 12 in the Boredom's Japanese soccer team on July 7, 2007 7, performing excellently and always making a difference when playing in from the bench. He is also one third of the group BBC Television, along with Elton saxophonist Bernays and Nicholas Cleeny of Wilksow. The group released a critical and acclaimed album called The Veal in 201 1 brackets 1 brackets. But seriously now, I've interviewed Jim twice, this interview will be the first one I did with him in late 2012 here in Lisbon, Uh, the second one I will be posting later this week and was done in late 2014, also here in Lisbon. The reason I'm doing this is that not only are both conversations excellent as they are very different from each other. Uh, Jim himself looked distinctly different on uh, both occasions. Uh, The first one he was more like a dapper, tight, uh, short-haired Jim, in a more serious conversational tone, also very whispery conversation, we were speaking very very uh, softly uh, throughout the interview, and we talked rather deeply about art and composition. And uh, the guys uh, Jim admired while uh, while growing up and learning to play. And on the second interview, which was much more like talking to a friend than an actual interview, um, Jim wore a shirt. Uh, loose pants and uh, hat as well and he had much longer, curlier hair Uh, and uh, on this interview he uh, is very funny and much funnier than the first interview on which we were actually quite serious all the time uh, or most of the time. Of course, you're not able to see Jim on uh, the uh, podcast because it's an audio podcast but um, I do have pictures of the interviews uh, posted on the WordPress page called uh, Made of things. And may the things pod. I'm up my own uh, my own uh, URLs. But I should also mention there are shorter cuts of the interviews uh, and I edited those on video which are up on uh, YouTube. So please check those out if you haven't already. In this case it's an older interview so it's been around for a while. If you're a gym fan you might have seen this. But this is a longer cut. I cut nothing out. Um, it's actually not a cut. <laughs> it's not a cut guys. But still, the first uh, Jim Black episode is much more of a formal interview, and the second Jim Black uh, episode is much more of a relaxed conversation with a friend, a person I've known for years now, and uh, you'll notice the difference between the two episodes. And it's fun, it's a fun dynamic. So, on the first interview, Jim was playing with his trio and performing at a hot club Portugal, uh, here in Lisbon, with Elias Temeshader and... Uh, Chris Tardini as well. Just one last thing before we get to the interview, uh, I should mention that our microphone had a couple of issues on that day, so you're not getting the best sound quality all of the time. There are a couple of pops and clicks here and there, and some slight interference, and for some reason, it, uh, the, the the audio volume starts kind of fading, and by the end of the interview, we had to use another audio source, so when you notice like a, a, a shift in the sound quality, that's why. Uh, Otherwise, um, if we hadn't uh, had any audio problems, Jim and I would probably have uh, gone on forever talking about art and uh, and writing and composition, and um, even though it's all only on the last minute or so, um, those are, we do have those audio problems, so I think I should apologize in advance, but I do think it's worthwhile, and you can hear pretty much uh, all of the, the chat um, we did on that day. So, let's go to Jim Black now. We are joined by one of the world's leading creative drummers. Hello Jim, how are you? Hi Antonio, how are you? I'm doing excellent, how are you? <laughs> Surviving in the rain. <laughs> yeah, it is a rainy day today in Portugal. Here in, here in Lisbon, I should start with uh, with your relationship with Portugal. You've been playing here for a long time. Uh, how would you describe the shows in Portugal? Are they are they particular in any way?
1: Well, I first played here in maybe ninety or ninety one with Carlos Bica, mm-hmm. and I think at that time the music we were doing, we were sort of like space aliens that had landed musically in old little Lisbon at that time the response was sort of mixed like what is this half repulsion half fascination and then as we started to do Carlos's music through the years um, his fan base grew and I mean now it's a completely different story here also at that time like maybe in 96 97 I started coming here with other American bands like Tim Burns Blood Count Alas No Axis played here maybe 99 or 98 I think Um, different cities in Portugal so my relationship to it is quite strong. Um, I, I love this country. I fell in love with it immediately when I first visited. And, and Carlos uh, used to take me down to Zambashaira Mar to hang out. And I think I've been there every year uh, for the past 20-something years. Um, so it's, it's an important place and I make sure I get here at least once a year to hang out. So Yeah, I mean, and the people, and the, you know, the, the amount of musicians now are also incredible.
0: Uh, you mentioned a, a curious uh, description of uh, you guys being perceived as aliens isn 't that uh, I've, I've heard that Space bef- aliens is different s- oh, Space Space Aliens. Alien stranger <laughs> <laughs> isn't that but um, isn't that a description that fits the best of music would you, would you say well the best of musicians i mean
1: it 's funny because if something is personal and unique and and I think our music is even more personal now um it's gonna strike people in different ways. It's, it's not for maybe mass consumption, not everybody's gonna love it right away. Some people respond to it faster than others, but I think in the case of Actually, it's pretty—it's pretty, it's pretty far-flung in Lisbon now, or I should say in Portugal, in terms of the taste. There's a lot of people that are into the more extreme styles of improv, or people that maybe like more Carlos Bica's types of songs and stuff. But we mash that together with spontaneous composition and things like that. So it seems like the palate—the maybe we're we're definitely not so weird anymore. There's many more people who would maybe fit that description than us. Um, so it's interesting to see how this has changed, but as long as I think people are being unique, being themselves musically, then, then you can do no wrong, because I, that's what I want to buy. That's what I want to go see. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, we don't need any more musicians in the world that are just okay. We need people with voices and their voices, and so it's their job to figure out how to develop that in their way, in their place. The internet has connected everybody in a certain artistic way, like no other time. Yet, everyone still has to develop who they are, the core inside. And you know, Lisbon is, and Iceland and other countries, have, Italy have influenced mm-hmm. me just as much mm-hmm. in terms of opening my ears and eyes and, and you know, your, your soul to, to what's good in life, what's nice about people, society, a way of being. And so I've learned a lot from all kinds of music and by going to places like Portugal, of course, and hanging out.
0: Do you believe a musician has to know what he's bringing to the table prior to starting a musical career, do you think?
1: No, because it's sort of like learning anything. How do you know until you try? You have to see if it resonates with you. And so I would encourage anybody to go after any passion. You know, passion is the one thing that will enable you to survive this. You know, it's you're not doing it for the money. It's nice to be able to survive from it if you can, but it's not a guarantee. You do it because you love it, because you have to. And if you have to do that, if the passion's strong enough and the commitment and the desire is so strong it, it almost doesn't matter what it sounds like because people will feel the strength of it. But that's I think the path of figuring out who you are as a person is totally parallel to the path of figuring out who you are as a musician and this takes time. Some people have it right away but even my friends that seem brilliant early on they change. They find other more deep connections inside themselves and so uh, no one gets around doing the work. Spending the time doing it.
0: But what about the uh, Trio How did that come about? It's uh, it's it's been around for a while. I met Frank Mobus at Berkeley uh,
1: in eight, uh, we, gra- I, we I think we both graduated in '89, and he brought me to Europe for the first time. Then, and I, I really liked staying in Europe, and I think I've been here most of my adult life traveling versus living in New York, um, where I spend my other months of the year. And uh, I think that next year in 90, or ni- I think it was in 90, he introduced me to Carlos, who was studying classical bass in Würzburg. And he brought us down here for the first time to play Hot Club and um, another bar I can't remember. That relationship started then, and Carlos liked the danger <laughs> of taking his songs, which were more, you know, nice, almost romantic sometimes, and finding, adding that edge to it, adding another dimension to color it in different ways. Without you know destroying it or pushing it over, and that's how our relationship started. It wasn't every year we played; there may be three or four, even three or four years between some albums. But it was consistent in terms of friendship and uh, just getting together and doing this thing. And it we, it's, we've worked more the past decade. We've been to India. We've been to the Middle East. We've been uh, nice concerts. We were just in Madeira last last week, which was incredible. Hot club, of course. We'll be back in January, so.
0: Yeah, <coughs> uh, I think it's safe to say that Alaska No Axis is your main vehicle now, would you say? It's m- it's
1: one of my main groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, I only have two that I'm directly leading Alaska No Axis and this trio um, that's uh, playing here in, in Lisbon. Um, but, but that's, I mean, I'm still playing with a, a trio with Nellis Klein and Tim Byrne called BB and C, Uri Kane's projects, a band called Pachora, which plays Bulgarian music, Old Friends. Uh, a band called Endangered Blood with uh, more friends from Brooklyn and stuff. Chris Speed, Oscar Noriega, Trevor Dunn. So it's hard to say what main means. But as far as when it's time for me to write music, I'm writing for this piano trio um, and, and uh, A Last No Access. We just finished a new CD, mm-hmm. which will actually come out on LP in March. So. March. Yeah. Okay, cool. Excited. What, what, does it have a title already? Not sure yet. Mm-hmm. It, it might be called Antiheroes um but but we'll have to see I kind of wait till I'm done mixing to make all those decisions but they come quick mm-hmm. uh-huh. uh, but we'll be touring Europe in May next year and see what happens oh, cool. Ho- hopefully get to play somewhere in Portugal <laughs> I'm sure
0: you will I'm sure yeah, you will. Okay. so <laughs> um you mentioned all uh, all those uh, all those outfits you you, you play with uh, and uh, what sets them apart you would say like I've listened to some but not all of them like I've listened to Pechor I've listened to the Trio and uh Last No Access but uh, Many of the other ones, like the BBC, you said um, uh, I I hadn't even heard of. Actually, what sets them apart, you think, from each other?
1: Well, the only reason to make another project or even play in another project at this point, because there's so much, there's so few amount, few free, such little free time uh, to have a normal life, uh, as one would call that. Mm -hmm. Uh, The music has to have a reason to exist, and I think in all those, all those bands. Um, there must be something unique about what we're doing compositionally, musically, the chemistry between the band. So, for example, Chris Bizziano and Alas No Axis and Petura, you change one person, you have all three bands. But we don't feel like that when we play together. It, each the music calls the shots, so that's really the reason why it exists. We can just play with the same players sometimes because we're open-minded and able to, to hear different music or in the case of this piano trio with Eliash Damasader and today Chris Tordini on bass, that's an, that's an opportunity for me to write more jazz rhythm, jazz harmony, other strange rhythmic influences in a quiet setting, the opposite of a last no axis, which, no which is all rock sound and distortion and song. So whatever, I think the music makes the band. Like, what's the point? And even B and c with Nels Klein and Tim Byrne, that's just a thrash fest, full on. And that's, doesn't really go there in any other projects right now. So it's important that that exists, too.
0: I'm, I'm curious to, to listen to, to that. Uh, um, where can I find it? There's an album called The Veil mm-hmm.
1: on Cryptogramophone. And we, there's a lot of live footage this past year. So we might put out a DVD, okay. which would be nice. And we'll see what happens next. Nels is playing with Wilco. And so he's very busy with that. But we might tour Europe in
0: a year, in a year or so. Which be nice, and maybe make a make another disc then. Awesome. The first time I listened to you playing, it became immediately apparent to me that you had a, a very great amount of attention to detail. Like everything is full of intent and is very um, sophisticated in a way. Thanks. Like <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. Um, okay. Does it um, does it hard? Uh, is it says it's hard uh, avoiding uh, going
1: through the motions as a musician. I think so. I mean, I've tried. I'm trying. I'm trying to fight all my good and yet at the same time not useful drum conditioning of my entire life. I'm trying to throw it all away and only play exactly what I'm hearing, what I need to, things that my body wants to do before you know the brain starts working, and I'm getting closer every year, every month. It gets better. it's a very that's a very personal evolution in terms of what one hears. What what do you what do you really want to play, not what you were trained to play. So yeah, that's something that I think a lot of people have to deal with. There's nothing I mean, there's nothing wrong with 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 playing what you've learned, until it doesn't feel honest, until it doesn't feel like ah I didn't really mean that. You feel you st- I started feeling a disconnect between what I could do and what I wanted to do or what I or what I really wanted to say when I was playing or how to accompany somebody or, or destroy something you know and and these things then it's a process of shedding your your good habits your well your well played skills as you make as you may call it and uh, realizing that maybe you could say a lot with just a few notes in the right place it's sort of you know it's the opposite of 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 um, of getting it's the opposite of always having to, to, to make it happen. It's more about leaving more space and allowing your ear to say, hmm, what would sound good right now? So you can have more control, more intent behind every stroke. And for drums, it's hard because it's not the nature of the instrument socially. You know, we're designed to to play beats and back up people do different things. So it takes an extra effort for us to to find a way to how can we still do that yet open it up and you know there's the heroes my heroes in in music like drummers like Jack DeJohnette or Paul Motion, and um, many others that I, I could go on and name but those two guys when I was young they had a way of playing all the great drum stuff drum music and yet finding a way that was so them that let a lot of music in through the spaces they would leave more room for that. They would play unorthodox things, not, I think, just to be unorthodox, but just because, like, that's a musical gesture that matches the piano or matches the guitar or matches the horn. Why should the drums be that different? I mean, I'm not, I I, I like the drums, I love the drums, I've been playing them my whole life, but um, I wish that thing could do a little more what a sax did some days. So you have to trick it out of it. You have to trick anybody has to trick their instrument into expressing what they want to
0: express. So, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because some of my favorite drummers actually I've heard them say that they aim to express themselves um through drumming maybe in terms of uh, in ways of other instruments, I mean, like for instance, uh, it's it's kind of hard to explain, but uh it's like um Having this sort of approach to the drums as if it were a piano, sort of, of, in a sort of way, or trying to to connect the drumming to notes that which are being played in the rest of the music, do you do you feel that as well?
1: Well, it's it's up to you. It's up to one to translate that information. I don't. I mean, the drums are not a piano, and and it will not play a B flat major scale no matter how much you think it can. It's going to be. It's going to fall short. So what is melody on the drum set? How can you be melodic? How can you be harmonic, rhythmic? How can you demonstrate color and tone and timbre, which is amazingly what that instrument naturally does. It's a timbre generator, tone generator. So what is melody, harmony, rhythm? Figure out how to, how to coax that out of the kit. But uh, literal translations are tough for me. It's more like, what does this animal do, and how far can I push it to the left or the right to make it, m- to make to have it make more music that comes closer to when I want a melody, but it ain't going to be a, <laughs> it's not going to be the melody on the piano. I've tried; it doesn't work for me. <laughs> Maybe others have it, but try so drumming with your fingers or something like individually. Sure, sure, whatever can make it happen. I, I'll try anything. <laughs>
0: But do you still have some swing in your music, usually, like to, to related to traditional jazz?
1: But that's what this trio is about, for me, was the uh, impetus to write something that was more jazz-oriented in terms of feel. Not in s- terms of holding up any kind of flag or tradition, but, but what is jazz to me, if you, if it, you know, a, a Last Maxis isn't, I don't hear the swing in it. So I put the swing in this trio. It's still, still made up of songs and, and, and different types of harmonies. They're, they're pretty more, more jazz-based. I wrote it all on piano. Alas, I write all the music on guitar, trying to fit the sound. But uh, this is the one jazz project. I mean, I play with Dave Lieben also, which runs the full gamut of acoustic quartet improv music from the 50s to the 70s in terms of, like attitude and swing style free all that stuff this trio wanted something not so literal but still with like what can you do with swing rhythm that would expand expand it for me you know that is around that feel around that vibe but is not that uh-huh. Exactly, it's yeah. someone else's music, you know. Uh-huh. But but how much, you know? When do you, when does swing start to sound like swing? When is when is when does jazz not sound like jazz, or like what we you know, throwing around words like that? But to me, it's swing rhythm. It starts. That's all it is, okay. really, to me. If you talk about jazz, you're talking about swing rhythm in all its possible shapes and forms. A lot of them we haven't even found yet. So there's a ways to go. We'll see.
0: It's funny because because uh, my background in jazz is immense. Like I usually tend to enjoy a fusion. I really enjoy Pat Metheny Group, mostly the group, not exactly his his rest of uh, his rest rest the rest of his work. Sure, sure. But I come from like this indie rock and then uh, prog rock uh, background. So mm-hmm. my references are like the, the Roofers and. Mm-hmm. Crimson, yeah. and stuff like that. I, those are my drummers. You, okay, cool. I mean, uh, apart from Weasel also, obviously. Mm-hmm. But, and do you at
1: all? Not, well, I mean, the closest I got to prog rock, I guess, would have been bands like Yes and Rush. I mean, I had a band that played all Rush covers when I was 15, but I pretty much grew up on Jimi Hendrix and Zeppelin. So, um, Miles Davis came after then and then it was back to Nirvana and Soundgarden and well, was the fusion bits. Uh, no, I didn't like that stuff. I was really? going more for the swing, no. more for the, you know, Tony Williams and that type of sound. Uh-huh. I never, I didn't listen to the fusion stuff until a little bit later. Uh-huh. And even more the recent stuff, not the 70s. That drove me crazy for some reason. It was too, mm-hmm. it was too weird for me.
0: I never got into it either, like bitches brew and stuff
1: like that. Yeah, that took it that was it late. It's
0: amazing, but I don't know. <laughs> it,
1: is, it is amazing if you go for the ride and I didn't have the patience. It's uh-huh. not my cult. it's not in my culture to do that, to give that much patience to something. You have to really be in a zone. And and so I listened to that like you know, that Mile Seventies later on and it is amazing. There's so many beautiful moments and, 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 and things that came out that Sony Japan began to release in the in the nineties. And, and let alone more quintet music that CBS still continues to put out.
0: Well, Miles is a world of his own. Honestly.
1: Yeah. Okay. It was, it's, I, I it, haven't
0: really started to no, it again. Too.
1: It's a source. And, and you know, a, a, of how, that spirit. I mean, when, you wanna hear, when I want to hear something really good, what I think is good music, that's something by him is going to come on. You know, and, and, and then you, you go from there in terms of inspiration, in terms of like, okay, I want to find something that good. I don't know. It's, it can't sound like that. I can't imitate that. That's not the point. It would sound terrible. And,
0: but and it's not the point in, in general. Yeah.
1: yeah, so, like, but but that's what good music is. Paul Motion Trio, Miles Davis, et cetera, et cetera. Strong bands. So, can I find that in my own writing, in my own music, with the chemistry of my groups? Mm-hmm. And so we, we go for it. And
0: about, like, your writing, uh, does it... Um like you mentioned, you write on guitar some stuff for a Last No Axis. For Last No Axis, and uh, what does um, what has changed after you, from from the original uh, compositions? Like when you when you write, you write like the theme, the main theme of, of the of the song, like the, mo- the motto? Well, say? with
1: with the last, it was pretty much a singer songwriter approach. You have a guitar in your lap that's resonating. Mm-hmm. You're playing. I mean, I would find I would make up a tuning. And find chords that I liked, which is I think a technique that Joni Mitchell used. I read in a magazine. So it's so.
0: I only really know the period or. The stuff I know is from when Pat used to play with her, mm-hmm. and uh, Lyle Mace. Yeah, Lyle Mace. Lyle Mace.
1: Well, that's, I mean...
0: amazingly intricate, like, for a, for a songwriting. Well,
1: it, again, finding a sound. I mean, she was just looking for sounds she liked on the guitar, so that seemed like a good idea to me, so I took my baritone guitar, and I didn't, you started to sing on top.
0: And it's still baritone, right? Yeah, uh,
1: they still use baritones just because of the lower, and actually that fits more my voice range I when I'm singing. Yeah. No, it's probably baritone. It's darker, it's lower. So you physically can do all these things, but it doesn't mean you're hearing anything. Uh-huh. You, you, you're good at doing it. Intellectually, you know what works, and you can write things. But on the guitar, which you can't, I don't know how to play at all, especially if uh-huh. you can change all the tunings. Ah, okay. You only have your ear, uh-huh. chord by chord, sound by sound. So every note becomes important.
0: Okay, so we're back. I hope you enjoyed part one of the Jim Black episodes. Uh, There's something I should mention, uh, which is, uh, and I never do, uh, which is these interviews are posted on uh, YouTube on the Made of Things pod channel. And uh, you can also download them on uh, WordPress at madeofthingspod.wordpress.com Don't forget to like our page on Facebook and check us out on Twitter and uh, Instagram. On Instagram it's only Made of Things. There's no pod over there. But everywhere Else it's made of things pod for the win, FTW guys, FTW. But sorry, but uh, thanks for listening and uh, please come back in a few days for another episode with my man, uh, Jim Black. Mm-hmm.